be thinking this morning about the fullness of Christ as our all. That statement is made twice in the prayers I mentioned a moment ago that Paul is talking or speaking to the Corinthians about. And he begins in this prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving, and a prayer for the people. In verse 17, he's praying as he remembers them in his prayers. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, I'm praying that he give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. He's praying that we would see and know this. He put everything under his Feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. Listen, which is his body, which is the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ is the fullness. He fills all in all. And again, he makes something similar to that. And it's very important that to the Holy Spirit that we understand this. He says in beginning with verse 16 in chapter 3. He's beginning to pray again. And he's praying that according to the riches of his glory, that he would grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Grant you that. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. How? Through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love, And the love of Christ, of course, the love of God and your love for others. I'm adding there. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Listen carefully. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You may be filled with it. It's this prayer for us. And he ends by saying, Now to him, to him to whom we're making this prayer and asking this, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the work, the power at work within his church, to him be the glory in the church. This message this morning, this prayer was for the saints. This letter is to God's saints. This letter is to the people that have been born again, that know Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. And he's seeking for them to come to a place of great, full assurance in their life and in their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not for you if you're not a Christian here this morning. I pray that you become Christian, that this might become yours as well as those who belong to Christ who trust in Christ and are in Christ. That's my prayer for you this morning. So we see here 
the fullness of Christ emphasized being our, that we may be filled with that fullness. And I would say today, I was thinking about this, that if we're blessed in any way this day in some kind of spiritual edification, if there's some kind of comfort that we receive, and I pray that there is, both you and me, that there's comfort and that there's spiritual edification, I desire, though, to be thankful and I desire to give all praise to the one to whom it's deser- who deserves it, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's from the Father through Christ by the working of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's from God. Because, you know, I have come to a place of weakness in my life after, well, 73 years. I'm a very weak person, and I understand that weakness. I understand that I am absolutely nothing. I'm like a sponge. You know, you buy a sponge from the store. It doesn't have anything in it. It doesn't have anything in it. And I'm like a sponge, and I don't have a drop to give. Squeeze me all you want to. Press me as hard as you want to. But I, you, you can do it over and over. But I don't have a drop to give you unless I first receive it. And you need to pray that I do receive it before I give it unto you, before I stand behind this pulpit and make something known to you. The Lord may ask me, and you may ask me, And we hear this question in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, spoken to the church by Paul when they're trying to discover, well, says one, who we're from. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Christ. Oh yes, but Paul reminds them, you need to understand that I'm planting Apollos waters and others do things, but it's God who gives the increase. And so let me ask you this question Let me ask you this question. What makes you to differ, oh man, as the King James has it? What makes you different from anybody else in the world? What makes you different? You can ask that. What do you have that you didn't receive? What have you got here that you didn't receive? And my reply is this. As implicated here, nothing. Nothing. The breath that we breathe, the next heartbeat, Bill prayed about it, is from Him. It's from the fullness of God. Nothing must always be my reply. It all comes from the fullness of Christ. From the fullness of Christ. He has been made our all, in all, in whatever situation. And and we need to understand that. We need to grasp hold of this. And Paul, in in 1 Corinthians, you can turn over there. We're going to be looking at that. Several different chapters right close together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you can probably quote it. Paul's telling each of the people there, beginning with verse 26, and we're not going to read all of it. We're going to read verse 30 and 31. Consider your calling. Consider the fact that there wasn't many wise, not many mighty according to the flesh, not many noble were called. God's chosen the weak things of the world. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, what? To bring to nothing that are. So that what? No human being, in verse 29, no human being might boast in the presence of God. And then he says, because of him. Because of who? Because of God. 
Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Wait a minute. I left something out, didn't I? Where did that wisdom and righteousness and sanctification come from? God has made Him to be unto us from God, wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And because of Him, you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Again, why? So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. All boasting is excluded. John opens his gospel with those very thoughts. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was like flesh, and the Word dwelt among us. And then in that same chapter, chapter 1, verse 16, he says something else as he speaks of Christ coming among us. And he says, from His fullness, there's that word again, from the fullness of Christ, we have all received grace upon grace. He's speaking to the church. It's from the fullness of Christ that we have received grace upon grace. And so, boasting. Boasting is entirely excluded. And this is the foundation, my friends. This is the foundation, a foundational statement to a true Christian church. The church that believes this has upon it a true mark of what a true church is. This is foundational. This is the foundation of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Just turn over there. Verse 10. Paul says these words, according to the grace of God given to me. Where is this coming from? Again, from the fullness of Christ, from the fullness of God. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds on it, for no one can lay another foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation. The Lord Jesus here is presented as a foundation. He's also presented in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20, 1 Peter 2, 6 through 7, and text that we read this morning out of the Old Testament as the cornerstone, the plumb line. All the lines, if you're going to have a plumb line, you're going to have a true level, you're going to have a true square, it needs to be in line in plumb with the cornerstone. Or it's not going to work. You're going to get in trouble. So the Lord Jesus is presented as a foundation. And believers, they're presented to the building that is raised upon that foundation. You find that, that idea and that thought again in Ephesians chapter 2. But I would want you to understand that there is a union, a union and a relation between Christ and His people. There's the same kind of union between Christ and His people as there is between a foundation and a building. If you're going to have a building of any substance that's going to stand anything, it's got to withstand any kind of wind or rain or storm, or if it's going to stand there very long, it has to have a foundation. And it must have a good foundation or it won't last. And what I'm talking about today is a foundational principle to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the gospel, the good news that we preach, Christ is all. He is in all. That relation 
between the foundation and the building. It is a relation and it is a union. The foundation and the house are bound together. Have you ever built a foundation? I have. I've built them in Colorado. I've dug, leveled them out, dug the ditches for the slab to be poured, helped dig 30 feet and down in the mountainsides of Colorado and laid, put the walls up for the cellars in which the rest of the house is going to be built on. The foundation has to be right or it won't stand. It won't stay. The cornerstone has to be that from which we plumb everything else. This relation and union is, union is very close. And I would say the closer the better. The closer the better. Both those floor plates down tight if you will. And it's the same as it is between Christ and His church. First Corinthians chapter 6 says this, He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with Him. One spirit with Him. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 says, For both He that sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all of one. They're one. We're one with Him. And I would suggest to you that a building cannot stand without the foundation, though a foundation can without the building. And so that moves us to Colossians chapter 3. If you turn there with me, I invite you to look at that with me. Colossians chapter 3. Paul makes a statement. It's only made twice in the Bible here and in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 28. Speaking of Christ here and God the Father in 1528 of 1 Corinthians. And he's talking about putting off the old man and putting on the new man here. Putting off all those old things. Put on the new man which has been renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. Ephesians 4, 24-29 uses the idea of we put off the old man created in the image of its creator in true righteousness and holiness, and thus we have knowledge here. We come to a place, and as a new creation, created in true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. But, he's speaking, and he says in verse 11, Here there is no Greek. There is not Greek. Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. And here's what I'm pressing so hard for us this morning. But Christ is all and in all. He's all. And He is in all. God, Christ has been made of God to us. Wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. And I put together just a little list of things that Christ is to us when we think of Him as our all. He is the foundation that we've just mentioned and so many other things. He is our bread from heaven. He is our food, our head, our hope, our refuge. He is our righteousness, a hope of glory. That is in Christ Jesus in earth. He is our light. He is our life. Christ is our peace. He is our propitiation. He is our propitiation. He is our wisdom. 
door, our sun, our shield, our strength, our sanctification. I am the resurrection and the life. He is our resurrection. He is our life. He is our redemption. He is our truth. He is our portion. He is the example that we follow. He is our joy. He is all these things. And I can go on and on. But let me say what David said as he spoke to the Lord in Psalm 16, 2. Bill, I already this down before you presented it in your <laughs> request for prayers, uh, prayer request this morning or yesterday. Bill used this very text and I thought, oh, I can look at this. David is speaking to the Lord and he says to the Lord, You are my Lord, you are my God, and I have no good apart from you. In me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. You th- I have no good apart from you. Can you admit that? Pretty good old boy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you look that in the face this morning? Is he your all in all? Is he? No good apart from you. He says in verse 5, For you are my portion. You are my cup of blessing. You are my all, he says. He is our all in all. You find that? You find that in Luke Chapter 10, we'll just look at that very quickly. You could probably all quote it with me, but let's look at it. For that speaks to the same purpose. Luke chapter 10. Martha and Mary are entertaining Jesus, and He always had a crowd around Him at that time. Well, there was a point that everybody had left Him behind, but they're in, and they're entertaining Jesus here. He's staying at their home. This speaks to the same purpose. And now as they went on their way, in verse 38, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted. Distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, to the Lord of course, and said, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Only one. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I think that's a wonderful statement which will not be taken away from her. There's nothing wrong with serving. There's nothing wrong with keeping a clean house. You should keep a clean house. You should be a servant. You should show hospitality and meet yourself coming and going like my wife does from the kitchen in the living room. That is something that you should do. But there's a priority that's higher than that that we're talking about here this morning. And that's sitting at the feet of Christ. Because that house and all the serving, all those things can be taken away from you. But what Mary has chosen is the good portion and it can never be taken away. Her relationship to Christ. Her joy in Christ. He alone is sufficient, my friends. 
I use the word in long, alone very, very strongly. He alone is sufficient. It's Himself without any other. He alone is sufficient. Himself alone without any other to make us happy. He is our joy. He is our happiness. And without Him, nothing else can do it. Without Christ, nothing else is going to make you happy. For you have been born, you have been given life that Christ might inhabit you. The chief end is to glorify Christ. And that comes from a heart within that, that sits at His feet and that loves Him and that desires Him above all other things. Him alone. He's sufficient. Oh, are y'all going to leave me too when the, when the statements got tough? And all Jesus' disciples left Him that had been walking with Him that He had sent out? And Peter turned to Him and said, But Lord, where can we go? Where can we go? You alone have the word of life. You alone give life. You alone are our hope. We're going to stick with you. And so they did. They did. Let me ask you a question. How many things have you tried to make you happy? Oh, the new phone is out. Let me get me a new one because this... <laughs> I got me a new phone. I knew guys that got new phones every time a new phone came out. Because they did a little something extra. And I couldn't even talk to them because they had their head in that. At the work, at the job, I made them leave their phones in the car. There's a new girlfriend, a new boyfriend, a new husband, a new wife, a new car, a new this, a new that. He alone, my friends, is sufficient. And I don't care what you're seeking. What kind of pleasure you get for the moment out of this or out of that. It's not going to be sufficient. He alone is sufficient. And He will share that place with no other. God won't allow it. Let me ask you a question. What is a sick man's all in all? What is a sick man's? What is this all in all? A physician. He needs Kirk. He needs a doctor. He needs what he prescribes, what he gives him. That's his all in all. What is a condemned man's all in all? He needs mercy. He needs a pardon. What is the captive's all in all? Well, he needs a deliverer. He needs to be ransomed. A hungry man's all in all. Hungry. Millions of dollars around him. But he needs food. Offer him the million dollars and offer him a piece of bread and see what he'll take if he's truly hungry. He needs food. What is a thirsty man? What is his all in all? He needs a drink. He doesn't need this or that. He needs a drink. He needs a drink. A man's all in all in debt. What is that? A surety. We need a surety. He needs someone who has become liable legally for the debt that he owes. Someone to pay the debt that he owes because he's in debt. And he's about to go to prison. He's about to go to death because he can't pay the debt that he owed. He needs a surety. That is all in all. That's what he needs. 
And this, my friends, in every respect is our condition. And all of this, He, the Lord Jesus Christ, is to us. He is our physician. He is the one that was wounded for our transgressions, was bruised for our iniquities, that took chastisement in order that we might have peace. He is the one who paid the debt that He didn't owe a debt that we owed. He is our surety. He is our guarantee. He is the what has sealed us by the Holy Spirit into a wonderful inheritance. He is our deliverer. He is our ransom. He, for the condemned man, has given mercy. He has brought pardon to us from the wrath of God. We're saved because of what Christ has done. He is all in all in this, in every respect. And He is this to all people. We just read it. Whether you're a Jew or Greek or barbarian, there's no advantage or disadvantage to being a Jew. No advantage or disadvantage to being a Greek. No advantage or disadvantage. Are they in Christ? That's what we need to know. Are they learned? Or unlearned. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's all alike. And this is the way He is in all things. Nothing against learning. You don't have an advantage because you're a Jew. Because you're not a Jew. Or because you're white. Or because you're black. Or because you're red. Not here. Not in Christ. Christ is all in all. And we get our eyes on too many other things. There is a fullness, my friends, in Christ. And God would have us live entirely, underline that, upon this fullness that is in Christ. And in Christ alone. Without living by faith, Upon this fullness, it is impossible for our souls to grow or thrive. We will never come to the full assurance of faith that can be ours. That the author of Hebrews speaks of in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 23. You probably with me have that memorized, but we'll look at it together. The author of the Hebrews has been talking about Christ, the sacrifice once for all, the new covenant that is a better covenant that's been made, God's delivering hand. He's introduced Christ as Father high above the angels, a, a better covenant, a, talking about what a wonder the Lord Jesus Christ is. And then in light of everything that he's been saying, he says this, Therefore, brethren... What's he mean? Well, in light of everything I've been saying to you about who Christ is, what God has done in Christ, in light of that, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, why do we have confidence to enter the holy place? Because of the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain. Sorry. That is... Through His flesh. How is it we have confidence? Through the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that's been made. And He's alive now. Through the curtain. Through His broken, through His torn flesh. We now 
can come into the holiest of holies. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. How is it that we draw near with a full heart and full assurance of faith? Where do we come What makes us know, what gives us this full assurance of faith? Is it something that we work up? Is it something about ourselves? No, it's because we have a great priest over the house of God. The word since is very important there. Since we have a great priest, such a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true hearts. Let your heart be true here and do it in full assurance of faith. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, of that faith, if you will. And drop down to verse 23, and let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? We have a hope that we can hold fast to. And it's a hope that doesn't waver. It's a hope that doesn't change. It's an inheritance and a hope that is reserved for us by the power of God in heaven. That is ours because God in His mercy caused us to be born again. And Christ is witness to this at the right hand of the Father because the grave couldn't hold Him. He was raised from the dead. He's ascended and He's seated at the right hand of the Father where He ever lives to make intercession for you and me. And since that is true, since He is faithful, we see us faithless. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because He who promised is faithful. And we've seen it. We see it from Genesis to this point that I'm at right now, all through Revelation. And let us then now consider how to stir one or another up to love and good works. I'm trying to stir you up here. I'm trying to fan something in you by the grace of God that's been fanned in me by just studying this for the last several weeks. What a wonder it is. Such a great priest over the house of God. The blood that has paved the way into the presence of the Holy of Holies. The broken flesh that I go through into His holy presence. What a wonder it is. His fullness, my friends. His fullness fills all in all. Listen. And whatever He is in Himself, He has become that for us. I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. Foundation, remember, and the house that we're building on, the one Spirit, we're now with Him. He's in us. I'm in you. I never leave you. I never forsake you. Your body, my friends, the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. Your body is not your own. It's not just your spirit. It's your body that is not your own too. You've been bought with a price. You've been paid for. You belong to Christ. He says, you are mine. (laughs) Oh, what a wonder it is. What a joy it is. His all fills our all. His all of fullness fills all our emptiness. His all of fullness fills our all of wants. He's not something. No, He's not. He's not a part. He's not something you just add on when you need somebody to preach a funeral or do a wedding or say a few words. 
He's not, he's not just a part. You don't come here and make Christ a part of your life on Sunday mornings and leave Him here. You can't do it. He's not going to have it. He's going to follow you. He's going to mess you up. He's going to trip you up. He's not something. He's not just a part, something we add on. But He is all. Oh, whether we eat, whether we drink, whether we ride a horse, ride a bull, work climbing poles, teach at a school, work as a paralegalist, be a homemaker in our home and teaching our children and keeping our home, Christ is in the midst of that. He is, His all is triumphant. His all of merits triumphs over our all of guilt. Guilty. Yes. The devil said, you're guilty. Yes. You did this. Yes. I hate it, but I did it. But now I'm in Christ, and there's therefore no, no condemnation. So this law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set me free. You free yet from the law of sin and death. His all of merits triumphs over our all of guilt. His all of grace triumphs over our all of sin and impurity. <coughs> Preach a sermon on each one of these. The sin abound? Are you His? Grace the more. You dirty? He washes your feet. Cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Lord, I know you said that I, you would that I sin not, but you've promised that if I do, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and that if I confess my sins to you, you're faithful and just to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me <laughs> from all unrighteousness. From all unrighteousness. His all of power is perfected in our all of weakness. Have you come to grips with your weaknesses yet? Have you come to grips with the fact that they may stay there? That his strength be perfected in that weakness. In that weakness. All said, I asked the Lord three times to do away with this thorn in my flesh, but he, what did he say? What did he say? In that weakness of yours, Paul, my strength is perfected and my grace is sufficient. Do you trust me there? Trust me there. I'm your all here in your weakness. My friends, God does not give us half. He gives us a whole Christ. A whole Christ. Look to just a moment. In your mind's eye, if you've got an imagination, use it for just a moment. Look at the Lord Jesus Christ coming, living, dying in the tomb, rising. Look at the Father giving the Son. 
Look at the Son asking the Father, and the Father sending through the Son the Holy Spirit who condescends to dwell in us. Our bodies are now living tabernacles of the Holy Spirit. You understand that's what your body is? If you're Christ, take care of it. Yes, look at Him. Look at them. And as you look, make this your prayer. May my faith, may my faith be as large in receiving as His heart is in giving. (laughs) What else can He do than to you? For you He has done. May my faith be as large in receiving as His heart is in giving. The whole Christ feels all in all. In Him we have enough. Is He enough or do you want some more? You want something else? Oh, well, I want to add this to it. I want to add that. No, He's enough. And He tempers everything else. Everything else. In Him we have enough. And there is no room for more. He is the first. He is the middle. He is the last. He is the Alpha and Omega in the center of our life. God is satisfied. You ever thought about that? Where we're concerned, we're children, we know we have full assurance of faith. We love the Lord Jesus. We love Him. We're not talking about, I heard somebody say the other day, talking about someone I know, she loves the Lord. How do you know that? I've been watching this person's life for 10 years, and there's nothing in that person's life that would tell me that that person, or longer than that, loves the Lord. But that this dear loved one looks and goes, I know she loves the Lord. How do you know that? Does she really love the Lord? What are you going to do if you love the Lord? You're going to pick up the cross. It's your cross. It's yours. It's not mine to bear. It's yours. And I'm not your cross to bear. It's your cross. Something about you that you're bearing. And you're going to follow him. And you're going to keep His commandments as you're following Him. And you're going to love to do it. You're going to delight to do it. You're going to love to do it. God is satisfied here. How do I know that? Because God from the cross in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in in the incarnation of the man, the God-man Jesus Christ says, It is finished. (laughs) What I've come to do is finished. It's done. And God testified it is. He raised Him from the dead and He's ascended. God is satisfied. Here He rests. So let this be our resting place also in Christ. Here God rests. People say, well, I don't keep the Sabbath because Jesus is my Sabbath. Absolutely, He is. We rest in Him. But we do not. Ignore. We do not ignore the commandments that we are to keep. The Lord is my Sabbath. It's finished. I'm resting in Him. God is satisfied. He's resting in Him. There He is. He is our resting place. He said, but you said, well, but He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Absolutely He is. And so the people of the book 
call it now, since He's the Lord of the Sabbath, it's the Lord's day. All of it is His. He set it apart. It's His day. Now, don't you love to spend the day with Him? You're all in all. You're rose of Sharon. You're bright morning light. You're all in all. Don't you? So, God is satisfied that this be our resting place for it's His. He gives rest to the soul of the sinner. Who can do this? None in heaven. None on earth. So there's this one who was suspended between heaven and earth. Between God and man, there is only one mediator who fills the breach. It's Christ. Who speaks of himself in Matthew eleven nineteen as what? The friend of sinners. And Levites. And tax gatherers. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad if a friend sticks closer than a brother? I am. I look at myself. And the best moments I see these gaps that still exist between me and God. Between me and Jesus. I look at myself and I see only nakedness. And I can try to cover them, this nakedness, with the fig leaves. And I do. You probably do too. But only in His fullness, only in His fullness is a gap filled. Only in His fullness are all my needs met and satisfied eternally. Kirk used it, Philippians 4.19 this morning. Think about it. Where are we going? At the end of the book, Think about this, Paul says, and you'll have a reason to rejoice in the Lord always. And that's why I'm going to say rejoice in the Lord always. Because my God shall supply all your needs according to what? His, where? In Christ Jesus. My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory. Where are those riches and glory found? In Christ Jesus. So we rejoice in the Lord always. We are to live by faith in Christ. In the faith chapter, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, we're told right in the middle of it, without faith it's impossible to please Him, and those who come to Him must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Why do we seek Him? Because He's all in all. He's our drink. He's our heart's thirst for Him like a deer that panted for the water book. He's our portion. We are to live by the faith of Christ. And we are then what He is, for He is ours and we are His. Just think about it, friend, what it means. He made Him, God made Him who knew no sin to become sin on your behalf that you might become what? The righteousness of God where? In Him. He is your raiment. He's your robe that the Father puts on you at the wedding feast. (laughs) 
He is. He is. I'm saying that the merits of His cross and the riches of His grace are our own. And it is a great, 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 ugly sin. And it is to our terrible shame. And it leads to misery when we look to any other object but Him alone. Any other object but Him alone. To bring us out of ourselves unto Christ, that is the great work of the Spirit of God in the hearts of His people. To bring us out of ourselves to Christ, into Christ. It's the great work of the Spirit. There's all kinds of things that come about in our life. You understand? I put a note in here somewhere on where it went. I wish I had it. Anyhow. God is everything that's going on in your life. Understand God is in control. We don't just say Romans 8, what is it, 29, all things work together, or 28 to the good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. We understand that. We mean it. We know it. We live in that. We live in that. And so what am I saying here? Let us learn with Paul in whatever circumstance that we find ourselves in to be content therein. Let us be thankful and content in the times of our life that are humbling. Job had trouble with that. He didn't at first. But he did a little farther on the book. I'm doing an expositional study on Job. I have been since... December the 25th or 26th. I think I'm on chapter 3. <laughs> so. but that's for another day. There are things that come into our life that are humbling. You're going to think I'm crazy. And I am. Crazy for your sake. Just like Paul. You know one of the best things that ever happened in my life? One of them. Outside of my wife. Is falling off of my porch and breaking my neck. Making sermons, three speaking, preaching engagements, engagements in October 1724th. It'll be five years ago. This coming September, next September the 24th. I'm sitting in there, my feet propped up. I'm reading. There's that note. I'm reading. Writing. Find something I love, Puritans. And I reached and grabbed the marker and I leaned back and the swing I'm setting in just kept going. I grabbed it like you would a bull rope and when I pulled on it, it made it go faster. And the back of my neck caught the tuba six, just wham, boom, about three and a half, four foot up on. I did a complete flip into the yard, broke my neck from C3 to C7. It was shattered. There was nothing left in there and I injured my spinal cord. So I walk around, sometimes I can't feel my feet with the symptoms of neuropathy. God set me down for nearly two years with the word open in front of me. Pride cometh before the fall. So proud of the weightlifter. I squat 450 pounds a bunch of times. I was just... There's so much going on in my life. 
and God broke my neck. And I've grown from that weakness. I can't tell you. I can't tell you what a good thing. At the moment, at the time, I'm recovering in the pain that I lay in for days and weeks. Wanting even maybe to die. Experiencing Job. Be better, I've never been born. And to go through this. Oh, but he comes. We come to the other side. And I'm still weak in areas of pride. I'm still weak in the way that I address people and how I talk out of line. There's things that I hate. But that moment in my life, that happening in my life, God was teaching me how to be content in whatsoever circumstance I find myself in. That's a, that's a divine art. Jeremiah Burroughs has a book, The Rare Jewel of Divine Contentment. Thomas Watson has a book, The Art of Divine Contentment. And it is an art. It's something that you learn. Paul said, I have learned. He didn't know it all of a sudden. I have learned. And God is your all in all there. He's your fullness there. And without Him, Him alone, everybody else is trying. But He is sufficient there. And only He. When I speak of that, friends, I'm talking about having faith. You understand, I wrote this this morning, that doesn't lessen the significance of the moment. It doesn't lessen the trial. It doesn't lessen the grief or the pain. But it gives you the right perspective. How shall I look at this? How shall I walk through this valley or this shadow or this affliction? In His light, we see light. And He's there. What a wonder. What a wonder He is. And so, let us be thankful and learn to be content in the times that are humbling. Why? Because we have our high things. We don't even maybe know about them. We have our high places, those things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And they must, and if you're His, they will be pulled down in order to bring every thought captive in your life to the obedience of Christ. Either that or you'll perish in the wilderness. And I don't want that for you. You'll wander in the wilderness. You'll die like the 600,000 that murmured because there was no bread. They got bread from heaven. Murmured because there was no meat. They got meat from heaven. Murmured because there was no rock in God. I mean water and God hits the rock, uh, smites the rock with a rod of Aaron, uh, Moses, and water comes from there. They murmur when they get to the land that God says, I'm going to give to you. I'm promising you this land. Just go in and take the land. They send 12 spies and 10 come back with a bad report. And they didn't trust God. And they died. 600,000 of the people, I think that was the number, who left Egypt died in the wilderness without ever entering into the promised land. And the author of Hebrews says, these things are written for our example that we don't do the same thing. So, we have these high places. We're worshiping God. Yeah, well, they were. 
They weren't doing what they were supposed to. It's easy to talk of Christ being our all in all, but only... Only the mortifying work of the Holy Spirit will ever bring us to take Him as that, our all in all. There must be repentance. There must be a complete renouncing of self, of all that we are and have, which belong to the first Adam. We turn from that. We put off the old man. We put on the new man. Recreated. We're new creations. We become, it's springtime, right? Everybody's planting. And the way we used to plant, we got this seed and we plant this seed and put it in a little, in, in a little box and it'd grow in a little bit of soil and then we'd take it out after the seed produced the plant and we'd take it out of that and we'd put it into some different soil and put it in some new soil and then it would grow and then it would bear fruit. That's what has to happen to us as new creation in Christ. We become like a new plant springing up from the seed of God's Word and planted in new soil, planted in good ground. Good ground. In the last Adam's, in Christ, vineyard, in His garden, if you will. We must die and be planted anew in Christ. It's only here that we as sinners can thrive being in Him and trusting in Him. Only here. Being in Him and trusting in Him, we shall be as a tree planted by the waters, spreading out its root by the river, which is Christ in His fullness. This river, we're going to name it Christ in His fullness. We get that from... Jeremiah 17, if you'd look there with me. Jeremiah 17, <clears throat> just south of Isaiah. Which is, I want to read 7 through 8. Thus says the Lord, I'm in reading five through uh, eight, I think, yes. Thus says the Lord, cursed. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Makes his own work, his own religiosity, his strength. Whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in in an uninhabited salt land. Now listen. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. He reemphasizes. Whose trust is in the Lord. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Whose trust is in the Lord. You getting it? What will he be like? He'll be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Be careful here, for the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked or sick. Who can understand it? The Lord can. 
I, the Lord, verse 10, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Trust in the Lord and you'll be like that tree planted by the water, the river of water. As the tree's roots spread out by the river and draw sap and life and nourishment, that's the way faith works in us from Christ. He is the river of life. He is the well of our salvation. He is our drink. He is our all in all. My friends, it is impossible to live upon Him and not bring forth fruit. It's impossible. It's impossible. Romans 6, 5, and we close with this this. This thought in Romans chapter 6, verse 5. Well, we may read in front of that a little bit. Oh, I gotta quit. <clears throat> let's, let's read with the first one. What shall we say then? <laughs> in light of the things I've been said, been saying, well, the word's been saying. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Oh no, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you know, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's a fruit bearing tree. Why? For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For homework, go home and read, meditate in, and think about the rest of that chapter. Can you truly say, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who's loved me and gave himself for me. Can you be like Paul in Galatians chapter 6? At the end of everything that he said, here's the sum of it all, here's the root. God forbid that I should boast or glory in anything outside or besides the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified unto me and I unto the world. That's a new life, friends. That's a new life. Let's pray.